Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone and welcome back to Not What For Podcast. Uh, We've changed our name. I mean, I say we like we're some big radio mega super show, Um, but we're not. We're just me. (laughs) So I I changed our name to They Defined. Um, And that change comes with a change of my own, a change of my pronouns to they uh, to reflect how I identify, which is as a non-binary person. And the reason I wanted to change the podcast too was because on the journey of what for I've been working out what I want to talk about and I've also been working out who I am and I found out I'm (laughs) non-binary and I want to talk about that um, and what it means not just for myself but in the world and this podcast is gonna pretty much stay fairly similar with conversations with inspiring and interesting people people who fit the typical gender binary and those who don't and we're gonna carry on talking about the type of topics that interest me creating living existing and the stories that make us who we are and yet we're probably gonna have a bit more of a gender angle at times because i'm trying to find more about that and that's where my curiosity is leading me and i think that could also be valuable to other people i hope so anyway but on with the show. We're back with Musa Akwanga for part two of our chat. If you didn't listen to part one, go back and listen to it. It was wonderful. And more importantly, he's wonderful. He's a poet, a sports journalist, a writer, and the author of a bunch of books that are coming out this year. We talk a lot about a book called In the End, It Was All About Love, which is a fiction that closely reflects his experience of moving to Berlin from the UK. And it's good for anyone who's moved to a new city and had to find their way once more. And a book that has just come out, so I haven't actually read it yet. I'm waiting to get my hands on a copy when I get back to the UK. Is called One of Them, an Eton College memoir. But it looks at Eton through a different lens. When you hear Musa speak, you'll notice that he's not your typical posho. It looks at the shame and the problems that are woven into the tapestry of what makes our fanciest college and what makes it a factory for MPs, Prime Ministers and the people who run our country. It sounds fascinating and I can't wait to read it. At the end of part one of the conversation, Moose's friend had told him that the animal that is closest to his personality is an elephant. Here's how the conversation continued. He said, you're like an elephant, he said. An elephant doesn't mess with anybody. But if you mess with an elephant or its people, it will absolutely just clean you out. And I was like, wow, that's changed. So so actually the very, you can't see it because it's also written in pencil, but the very first note I had in sort of my notes to interview you, the very first word is elephant. No. Whoa, like what, what prompted that? It was because uh, of a different story that I heard you tell about your father and about going back to Uganda yes. and a yes. man telling you... An elephant's son is still an elephant. Yes, the son of an elephant is still an elephant. Yeah, the biggest compliment. You know, my dad My dad passed away before he reached the age of 41. And I basically signed the deal for this book. And another, actually, so basically like this year has been amazing in terms of books. Like I'm getting projects out this year, which is really exciting. But basically all the really exciting things that happened for me happened just before 
I passed my father's age when he died. So it was literally like I'd done everything I came here to do within the time. It was like a race against time. Can I achieve stuff that was worthy of him before I get past the finish line of when he when he died? And it really felt like with these pieces of work I'm putting out this year, as arrogant as that will sound, I have created defining work for myself. When I say work that defines who I am, work that I can look at. If someone says like, where's the defining work you've made? Whatever I go on and make, two of the defining pieces of work will be two of the books that are coming out within a few months of each other and deals that I signed just before I passed that age. And I was like, I did it, dad. And I remember it was like literally with a few, with a handful of days to spare, I signed the deal for this book. And the, the, the publisher don't know this. They don't know why. I was like, why is like, he so keen to announce? I said, no, we have to announce it like at this time. And they were like, okay, okay. And they put it out. And then I was like, I don't know if they know yet, actually. I'm not sure they understand yet the significance of like announcing this book deal when they did. And it, it's funny to hear you say that. Um, to, to come back to, to what we were speaking to at the beginning about the most important work being the work that you didn't notice. Right. And your friend telling you of the work you hadn't noticed to become yeah. an elephant. Right. You, it's almost, a pa again, a parallel outside of the book contract. It's exactly that, yeah. It's like the friend you are. Like, you know, the work you don't realize you're doing is the times that you give people, you help somebody out with something. And I had um, so an amazing friend of mine, Jennifer Neal, who's an incredible prose writer, who's going to release a novel next year. It's going to just blow minds. She organized an incredible birthday party for me, a surprise birthday party. So she'd been doing it for months. She, she got all my friends in that room and my friend was like, oh yeah, like, oh, I, I didn't know how this person knew you. And it's like, oh yeah, you, you helped someone with this thing or that thing. And it was suddenly like, there were things you'd forgotten, right? You know, you don't, Harry, you don't remember all the times you help people, right? Or, or oh, I've got a book something. on it actually. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping score, oh my goodness. Sicilian energy, Sicilian <laughs> Um, I suppose as an elephant, I shouldn't forget, but you forget. And then like, it was like, oh, but actually it's making time for people and that's the work you don't realize because that's the work that people remember a lot of the time. And it's more important than a lot of the things that the deadlines or the accolades that you chase or the, you hope you'll be given. And I'm not saying this from a place of like, um, oh, look at me as a great person. I'm saying that as someone that was thoroughly humbled. When I was at uni, my first girlfriend at uni, she said, you're probably the most impatient man I've ever met in terms of your ambition to get somewhere. 23 years ago, she said that to me. You're probably the most impatient person I've ever met. It's taken me 23 years of impatience to get here. And that has been a thoroughly humbling experience. And that's why it's been good for me. Like in the long run, the world's a better place for me, like not having made it a lot earlier. Not that I was a monster, but I think humility never hurts anybody. But the humility makes me help people more because I know how hard it is. I know what that journey is like. I don't want it to be harder or lonelier for anyone than it needs to be. And it's almost that, that that awareness of loneliness that makes us make ourselves available. Yeah, I'll never, I'll never be that parent. I'll never be that. I could never be that parent who's like, I went through it, so you have to go through it. No, no one should go through it. Just go out there and create and have joy. If I had my own way, there'd be a stipend for artists where you could have your like accommodation, living expenses paid. You just make stuff. You'll just create. So you're right. Having felt the loneliness at that level, it makes you keener to connect. Yeah, and, and having traveled it makes you keener to open your door yes, to someone who needs a place to rest their head yeah absolutely does yeah absolutely i mean odysseus and xenia and let's welcome absolutely man absolutely but 
that that journey, like Odysseus as well. Look at that. Twelve years to go home, and no idea what he'd see when he came back. No idea. And there's an element of that, like with every kind of artistic creative journey. There's a sense where you're. There's a moment where you cast off your boat from the shore, and you look back, and the coast is nowhere in sight. All there is is the horizon, and you have to keep going. You have to. Of of course, your book is is a, is an odyssey of sorts, and it and it even has. I mean. Um, it has Nostos. Do you, do, do you know? No, what's, so the con- I, so what's Nostos? No, no, I love so, that. So Nostos is the journey back. Wow. Um, and that's where the word nostalgia comes from. Because wow. Nostos wow. Okay. is the journey back and Algos is pain. And it's the pain of return. Wow, okay. That's nostalgia. Es- escape tax and the pain of return. That is incredible. The pain of return. What I love, this etymology, right? The roots of words. That's amazing, the pain of return. I never thought of nostalgia as that, but it makes perfect sense. That is what it is, the wistfulness. And so for me, like I had to complete the circuit by returning to the place that all started, which was my dad's grave in Uganda. And I had to return to that. And that was like, people saying to me, like, this isn't a journey, people, most people don't do this. And me not wanting to do it, but knowing I had to and being rewarded Honestly, like returning to my father's grave, my father's village in Uganda was um, spiritually maybe the most powerful thing I ever did. Cannot describe how that felt in terms of the soul. The way I describe it is like, terrible example, but it's like in a computer game where you have to go to a certain part of the level to collect something to go to the next level. There was a part of myself that was there in the north of Uganda that I'd been there my entire life, a part of myself I had to go to collect to be whole or to go to the next stage of my life. And I did it. It's one of the most terrifying things I ever did and I did it and it left me at peace. How wonderful to, I mean, it's again committing to a process of of that impatience. For the last 20 years, two decades over, you've been impatient in search of a sort of peace. And, yeah. and, and there was a peace spelt with an I, yeah. in, in, um, in Uganda. Yeah, now, now you've arrived. I was, the, the greatest thing you can say would be for me like on a gravestone, like he arrived at himself. It's the strangest thing. You, you wake up every single morning as an artist. What's that thing that Hemingway says? Like you have to face eternity or the lack of it each day. You'll wake up tomorrow with the tools to like change your life forever. There's a manuscript within you somewhere that could change your life. And that's the weird thing as a writer, the frustration is you'll wake up every single day with the tools to transform your life, you know, financially or whatever, or reputationally. And it's in you, you'll walk around the entire day and you are the oil well, there's a drill within yourself and you're constantly looking and it's like, you're right, it's right there. That's the cruelty and it, of it. And it's heavy on your shoulders. Yeah, it's just brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. It's right there. And it is heavy because you've made this public declaration. I'm going to be a writer. And to be a writer, I'm going to create. And that's like, oh, you're a writer. Like, what have you made? What have you done? And it's like, I felt for years, I felt like I was a, a plane on a runway and I was fueled up and ready to go and I was taxing, but everyone else kept taking off and I was still on the runway. And other planes would take off and circle around. Hey, Musa, how have you been? We've been in Mallorca. We've been in Rotterdam. Oh, we were in Singapore. And everyone's flown and come back. And everyone's, people are doing laps of the world and you are still on the runway. And that's how I felt for years. And for the first time in my life, I'm like, I've taken off. I've actually taken off. 
and it's unbelievable. Like, and you know it is because you know what the feeling is compared to when you hadn't. And it's immeasurable, the difference. It's immeasurable. And that there's a, a smooth poetry in, I mean, the first poem that I ever saw you'd read, which is Passport, which you, you promised your father you'll, you'll yes. go to the skies. Yeah, oh, wow, yeah, great. No, exactly that, right, exactly that. Um, this thing about being airborne, I don't know where it even came from. I think, I think it's the freest I could imagine anything. I look at the, the freest possible creature I've ever imagined. I always talk about this, is the condor. It lives in the cliffs and it flies out over the ocean. The first thing it does is get out over the ocean and it flies and it drifts. And some of these birds can stay airborne for like weeks. And I was like, that's the, that's the energy I want to move with. Just, just leave me alone. <laughs> it's, it's so interesting because my visualization and my feeling of that is the other way around. Oh, well, okay. Um, I want to land. Because mm. um, you've been flying your whole life. Yeah, it might be that. I mean, uh, you, you described at the beginning, you, you, you never thought you'd leave the UK. I didn't get to the UK till I was 10. And I'm not there now. <laughs> and, and so... So yeah, I suppose I was sort of thinking almost enviously, like I don't know where where I would go home to. Mm. There is a surety that it's almost inverted, but obviously then there's always parallels the other way. But my what for is where can I put my feet, not where can I spread my wings? Yeah, right. And that makes complete sense as well. And maybe that would be the case for me at some point too, now that I've got the rest of my life to get on with. Maybe now nesting is a thing, I don't know. But I think it was I spend so much time trying to take off and it's like, okay, I've taken off, now I need to land somewhere. Maybe it's that, you know? So for people like, yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, okay, yeah, that was fun. Oh, what, you landed so soon? Yeah, it was good, I just got up there. I just wanted to get above the clouds. Yeah, that was it, it was all I really wanted, just to see that and then now I'm like, but now what you describe as um, belonging is such a funny thing, isn't it? Like spiritually belonging somewhere. There's some cities you go to where you're like, oh, we consider moving there and you get there and it's just like, I can never move here. There's like, there's too much. One city I went to, and I won't name it because I don't disrespect any listeners, but I went there and it's a beautiful city. But I felt such a melancholy and a sadness. I was like, if I move here, I'll be sad forever. The city was sad. The city, I was like, if I move here, I'll be absorbed in a melancholy and it'll be, I'll be walking slow through the streets the next 10, 20 years and I can't do this. So I couldn't move there. Other cities you go to and you're alienated by, there's no soul there. They're glass and they're steel and they're like unfeeling and they're just, they just care about profit margins and they care about the kind of conversations you haven't been having about money for the last 25 years. They're obsessed with those conversations. Another tension that, that like I, I, I felt in your book was between vanishing and being seen. Yeah. And you described Berlin within a few months, you'd vanished into it. And that's exactly what you wanted. Yeah. And of course, as an artist um, and as a performing artist, that sense of recognition and, and, and being seen is, is another key element to your, to your narrative. Well, I became visible by accident. So I was doing my little poetry gigs here and there, but nothing on a kind of big scale, just doing stuff, going out, meeting people. And then I wrote an essay. It was, um, I think it was 2015 in Cologne around New Year. A bunch of men basically went out into the public square and they sexually assaulted like dozens of women harassed them, groped them, all the rest, and like, you know, all, it's horrific. 
and I wrote an essay about this and the essay basically went viral and got translated into several languages. And all of a sudden my cover was blown. Until then I hadn't really talked about being in Berlin. None of my articles about it, nothing. And I spoke to my friend and I said, my God, like I'm visible now. Like, of course, I'm a, I'm a tall, dark-skinned black guy. Of course, I'm visible. But but outside the country, I wasn't like, it wasn't like I was, it wasn't known that I was in Berlin writing about things here in Germany, the political social context. And I wrote this essay, and that essay basically changed all of that. And she said, Musa, like, some people are not meant to be invisible. And that was funny, because that was like, what, six years ago? Someone told me that. And just today, I got a text message from an ex of mine saying, you're fated to feel. That's your fate. Your fate is to feel things and to be seen, basically. You don't have the option, unfortunately. You're someone who's always going to attract a strength of feeling from different sides because of your sexuality, your race, your your education, your class background, whatever. Like you're gonna always attract some measure of response. You don't have that luxury. You can never be invisible. And I think the book basically accepts that that's not my path. Yeah. That's really beautiful. I'm really interested to connect with your process of, and the funny thing about I, I, what, what I've heard you describe about bisexuality um, is your realization of like, uh, you could be both. You, like, there wasn't a binary that you didn't have to. Yeah, and even it. what, and it's so weird. People describe bisexuality and it's like different for everyone, but people go, oh, it's, 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 it's who you love, it's who you this. And I, I, I'm even hesitant to say that because it's like, it's biological as well. Like it's who you fancy, right? It's who you are, you know, it's not some spiritual, you know, thing. Yeah, it's about who you, it's also like who you're drawn to. And that was very confusing for me because I thought that, you know, it was binary, like, okay, 50% women, 50% men. No, it's not. This label was given by someone who didn't understand what it was, right? But the amount of people using the word bisexual, 90% of people that use that word are not bisexual themselves. So the dominant group gets to define what it means. And so that's very confusing if you're bisexual because it's like, but what if I actually predominantly in my case, fancy women, but still I'm attracted to men and to trans people. And you know, like what if that, or, you know, non-binary people. So what, what do you call that? I remember when I, when I first came out, my friends were like, she was like, you're not gay. And I was like, oh no, at first I thought she was like, you know, trying to put me in denial. She's like, you're not, she said, like you're bisexual. I was like, well, that's not a thing. Then as time went on, I was like, oh, actually, the majority of the time I'm attracted to women, actually. The overwhelming time, but I still talk about it because I'm an honest man, like I'm honest about my sexuality and that's just good practice for partners. At the same time, I've got friends who are bisexual who never come out because they are attracted to men periodically, but their attraction to women is overwhelming and it's just not worth risking passing as heterosexual because they partly they've seen what I experienced. They've seen what prejudice I've experienced. If I lied about my sexuality, my life would be superficially easier, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I interviewed a non-binary. It's funny, you can hear the moment I realize I'm non-binary in the interview. Wow, um, wow, okay, wow. <laughs> um, because I'm like, oh, like I feel like a, not like a man and not like a woman. And, and the, they were like, she, they, their pronouns, she is, is um, they're just like, well, well, you're not binary, Harry. I was like, oh shit. My goodness. Um, but I, I said that, what would you say to sort of trans non-binary people coming through? Coming through. Um, they're not like rappers. Maybe, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, but, but sort of learning who they are. And she said, look, normally I'd say, follow your truth. 
well, like when I'm speaking in front of a school, I'd say, follow your truth, be yourself, Disneyland and happy endings. But actually think hard before you come out because yeah. they might not employ you. She's a sex worker in Amsterdam, uh, non-binary, uh, trans activist, like frontline stuff yes, and, yes, and at yes. risk in, in, a, in a very deep and meaningful way. And it was so powerful suddenly realizing, hey, well, it's a pick your battles thing. This might not be worth it. Yeah, and that's the thing, the natural desire for self-actualization, right? Self-fulfillment, that's a natural human thing, right? Which straight people get from walking down the aisle a lot of the time or whatever, or whatever form that takes, whatever form they find, not to like, you know, limit straight people, but there are, there are easier paths to self-realization and self-actualization. And belonging, what were you mentioned and, before? Right, and belonging, right. And coming out is a big act of self-affirmation, which is not, unfortunately, it's an act which is denied the majority of queer people the world over. It's denied the majority of them like this. For me to be openly bisexual and have the career I have, that's a deliberate choice. It's knowing it may have cost me, but part of me is like, fuck that. Like, if people, what is the benefit? The benefit of me being out and who I am and good at what I do is greater than concealing it because the amount of emails I get, the DMs I get, the messages about like, thank you for talking about this. Like to hear someone, you know, doing a football podcast with that visibility, talking to like someone like Ian Wright, who's a football hero of people's and like just talking about situated openly. It's like, that's a platform where you're accepted and people hear that. And that was always the point of it, whether it's my music, my essays, my books, like to build as big a platform as I can, as openly as I can, that is extremely, that has a value. That's, that's the first thing that we talked about. It's that what I asked you about purpose was realizing it's Star Wars, it's, yep. it's galaxies, it's something beyond me. Yes, exactly. It's so they don't have to go through it. So the younger, when I came out, as difficult as it was, I was like, oh, where are the openly like gay or bisexual, you know, black football writers, sports writers, you know, where are the the podcasters, the, you know, the, the pundits, the commentators, where are they? Where are they? There's so few of them. I was like, maybe it's gotta be you. It's gotta be you, like you got it. And then I was like, well, this was brutal. And I was like, the next ones can't go through this. The younger ones can't go through this. It's not right. They're not gonna experience what I experience. It's not fair. And I'm not bitter about it. I'm not bitter that things are easy. I'm not, I'm really proud they're easier. I'm really proud because I feel like I was part of that. I was part of making your lives easier. Some people are like, oh my God, we had it so hard. I was like, no, we did the journey. We did the yards. That's amazing. And the, the funny thing is actually now, people in their early twenties reach out and say, thank you. That's a big generation gap, you know? I mean, my best friend's 76. In fact, I've, I've interviewed them as well. <laughs> oh, wow. They, they did wonderful things. And I, and I said, what are, you, what are you proud of? And, and they said, well, our friendship, mine and wow. his. And it was because he felt he could give me something. And it's once amazing. again, yeah, we yeah. returned to that root of purpose. Yeah, it's definitely, pur purpose is everything. Like I had a long chat just before I got on the um, podcast with you with a friend about community and how we build it and how he's amazing at building and that's his gift. And Stadio, the Stadio podcast, it's community, community of listeners. You know, you get messages about, thank you for the escapism. I, I wrote one of those messages. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I, I'm oh. one of those people. I'm one of those people who, who wrote, and, and I, I'll never forget, I wrote, thank you for making it a space for, like, I, in this journey of me coming out, like making it a space where I could feel comfortable 
in a oh, non wow. as a non-binary person and you said to me it's your game too those th those those three words and it's your get your it's your game four words they're powerful words like that statement is huge absolutely yeah i'm so glad that um, this is the really lovely thing is um we haven't done like stadio live events i talked to ryan about it. i said what's gonna be really lovely if we do get the chance to meet stadio listeners at some point we're meeting people who've like kind of spent quite an intense period with this podcast and like they have stories about it you'll have like conversations like even the messages we get it's unbelievable like you know just a couple every week but people just i've never written to a podcast before i wanted to say this and it's really lovely. yeah it's so lovely people are like people are going through it you know and it's nice to know that if people are going through it they can come and just hear something and kind of just like eavesdrop and have a bit of fun you describe your greatest challenge as self-doubt mm. i actually read the paragraph of your book to my partner about what would you do if you were a confident person mm. what has self-doubt played in in your journey how, how have you how have you met self-doubt today i just go in the direction of it if i'm terrified of something it's because I'm afraid of confronting something which I have to do because the pattern of my life is the most frightening things have always been the most rewarding to encounter. So if I feel fear, if it's fear of creating something, it takes me a while, but I end up doing it. The fear is there so often, but I now just walk towards it more often than not. And that's how I confront it every day. It's funny, that's, that's exactly what the last artist I spoke to said. They said, I know right. the fear's there and I thank it. It's, it's warning me of something. And then I dive in. And then, yes, and, yes, yes. The yeah. best artists, the bravest. You look at them all. Scroobius Pip, K Tempest. Shout out to K Tempest. Astonishing. Oh, my, the, the day they came out, I just finished reading their book, The Bricks That Built This House. I resonated so much with the character throughout the entire novel. And there's a bit where it, I mean, they're looking in the mirror, they're, they're, they're experiencing dysphoria. And oh, that's what the novel's about. Wow. That's amazing. Long, long before they came out. Wow. Um, wow, 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 wow. And, and, and it's, it's clearly talking about, well, I, there's definitely parallels between what Kay describes and what their protagonist goes through. And that prompted me to have a fairly teary-eyed conversation with my partner Incredible. about my gender identity. And then that same day, their coming out Instagram post Amazing. came out and I just wept it was yeah but anyway. I, I reckon Kay saved lives with that post so do I indubitably such as their impact as an artist their importance like we came through the scene at a similar time and Kay emerged Kay was a comet Kay was a comet when you see greatness that close it cannot help but humble you I don't know if you know um, Stephen Camden polar bear the poet back in the scene that was an amazing it was weird because i was kind of like there was a quartet of us. there was a it was me stephen scroobius and Kay, and we we would talk and like podcast together and they all went to the moon and i kind of was like still on the runway for years and people would ask oh like who's that guy I used to talk to and like and scroobius finally got me his podcast we were talking about it and it was like i feel like i'm i'm, I'm getting there now scroob i made i made my work now i've made my but there was always this beautiful sort of, um, I don't see K much these days, but whenever we cross paths, get together, there's a fellowship there. And I'll always remember sitting in, those, sitting in that pub 
oh my God, the memories sitting in that pub in like Shoreditch, like old, like, you know, just old characters, like, you know, the elder, like just the elderly, just sitting there mulling over stuff with our flat caps on. Honestly, that was, you know, it's not like, not that, that that's not nostalgic in a kind of, that's not a wistful thing. That's like a beautiful moment frozen in a time that I'll always value. Like I will always value the kind of kinship and the fellowship of, of Kay and Scroobius and Stephen Camden. Because even when things were tough for me, they lit the way, they led the way, and they made me realize it was still possible to get there. It was quite beautiful, actually. Thank you so much for listening. I told you Musa was wonderful, and I'm so grateful for his time and yours. I also want to say thank you so much for being patient with the fuzzy parts of the audio when I was speaking. My mic had a bit of trouble during the recording, but I did my best to give you the cleanest version I could. Please go out and buy his books. The first one, the book that we talk about a lot, is In the End It Was All About Love, and it's fantastic. And the second is one of them, an Eton College memoir. It's just come out, and it's getting rave reviews, and even got on the cover of The Guardian magazine, so it can't be too bad. If you're into football, go check out my favourite football podcast in the world, the Stadio podcast that Musa co-presents with Ryan Hun. And if you fancy it, share this podcast. I'd be so grateful. I'm really trying to grow this little community, and it's so wonderful connecting to more and more people. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, look after each other, and I will see you next week.